Ace, are you ready to do this? Yes, Eric, I certainly am. Let's do it. Three, two, one, go. I'm Eric Idiot Runner Kosek. And I'm Grace Hot Pants Langheim. Eric is all business in the front of the pack, and I am all about the party in the back. That's right, business up front and party in the back. Together, we are the Running Mullet. And we are going to talk about every aspect of running, the podium to the DNF and everything in between. If you are a runner, this show is for you. Now sit back, get out your foam roller, and enjoy the party. Great. That intro is not going to get old anytime soon. No. No, just for fun fact, we, um, while that's playing, we had bang the entire time and it's super fun. Yeah. And I get to watch you do it like in the background and you're probably doing the same with me. <laughs> yes. Accurate. Dork. We are dorks. <laughs> accurate. Yes. So hey, we, speaking of dorks, hi, Chad. Chad Brown's here. I got to turn these comments on. I always forget. Yeah. yeah. Chad's in the comments and anybody else who wants to join Chad in the comments section. I don't know if that's uh, if that's going to motivate people. We'll see. It's a party whenever Chad Brown's around. Well, uh, go join him. Go talk to him. He's he's lonely over there right now. Join into the chat um, if you are live with us. And, um, and if you're not live, then good morning. Good afternoon. Hope you're having a good run. Hey, Grace, what hat you got on tonight? Oh, I have my Trail Sisters hat on today. I'm I'm repping uh, the Trail Sisters crew. Nice. I like the color. You don't see that like yellowish color much. It's mellow. What do you have? I can't tell. Black Forest. Still got the sticker. Black Forest. Oh, BFU. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of my faves. It's on my list. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Came off of a good weekend of volunteering and running. How about you? What'd you do this weekend? I I think I told I worked my butt off Friday and Saturday at the house doing stuff, a whole lot of work. I finally have a bathroom in my basement, which is phenomenal. I mean, it doesn't sound like much to most people, but wow, like Beck, I just made Becky's whole year. Yeah. So oh, it's just a toilet. Fun. I mean, there's no sink or anything, but there's a toilet down there that works. Sanitizer. Just put some sanitizer there. Yeah, you're fine. Exactly. So that was like, like we're living large now. And then are. I worked my butt off Saturday. Didn't even get a run in, which is okay. And then Sunday I, I did some, some stuff up on the hill, kind of nice. trail stuff slash Boston stuff, I guess a little mixy doodle. Mixy doodle. I like mixy doodles. Yes. Um, but back to, I guess you, you helped out at an aid station, correct? Yes. Yes. I uh, went to Rattling Creek Run uh, over the weekend. Really fun race. Saw super awesome people who came out, even though they saw the weather forecast and good on them. I had a canopy, thankfully, but uh, my friend Barb and I, Barb, AKA Miss America, we went, uh, we did registration first and then we were the we were aid station number one. Um, and then the timing was perfect. So we like shifted our aid station. So we were also aid station three, which is really cool. 
because we were at registration and aid station one and aid station three. And then we went to the finish line to hang out, which we were everywhere. It was, it was kind of fun. That sounds like a phenomenal day to really to get yourself in the whole race without doing it and seeing all the parts of it and not having to worry about the stress of running slash racing. Yeah, it was a really fun day. Did not run at all that day because I had plenty of running around at the aid station and kind of filled my cup of um, hanging out with trailer people, but also giving my legs a break. And um, I thought it was a good topic for today to talk about aid stations. And I, I love working aid stations because I take this job very seriously. We are there to get people in, get people out, make sure they have all the things that they need and that they're having a good time. And, um, you know, I, I don't get a chance to talk to because this is the point. I don't get a chance to talk to a lot of people from the front of the pack about aid stations because I want to like. Let's get them in and out, you know? So I wanted to hear from you, um, your thoughts on, as a front of pack runner, how do you, how do you view aid stations? How do you get through them quickly? Or do you hang out? I don't, I I think you get through them pretty quickly, but how do you manage aid stations? You know, this is such a, we, we, we had said we were going to talk about this a little bit and it's, I, I was excited because it's such a fun conversation and it fits our whole idea for this show perfectly. And Mm -hmm. I think those watching and those that will watch will agree that upfront can be kind of intense. Sometimes that doesn't mean it's not fun, but it's intense. It's Uh kind of business-like and I've been around an aid station just helping out and near the back of the mullet And it is not intense at all. It is a phenomenal party, which makes me want to join the the back of the mullet even more. Yes. To answer your question, when I, so depending on the distance of the race, whether it's a short distance or long distance, if I can manage to not use the aid stations, I'm going to carry everything I need. If that means myself carrying more than I'd like to, so be it. But if I can, if I can save one second at that aid by not stopping at that aid station, that's my thoughts. Now mm-hmm. I tell a lot, I tell all my athletes, not all of them, but lots of them, aid stations are just time suckers. That's all mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. But they're so fun. So a time sucker. <laughs> bad now, word. When you say shorter race, like talk to me about how you make that decision of whether or not you're gonna bring everything with you. And you don't often run with a pack, right? So you're talking about like a waist. You can carry everything on your waist or in your hands, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I strategically, I would, I wear shorts that have the tight pot, the spandex type pockets. So if I need to go with, with just gel type fuel, I can, or even real food, something's not going to bounce around in there. You know, I got the, uh, what are they? Rabbit shorts that have the spandex pocket all the way around the right waist. Yeah. It, I don't know if you've ever tried them, but you can fit so much food around your waist and it doesn't bounce. They're my favorite thing in the whole world. They're like way overpriced, but hey, it's quality. So anyway, you know, stuff like that. Yes, I I like a belt because there's a big pocket on it if I need to carry more. And I like a handheld water bottle that straps to my hand where there's, I don't have to hold on to it. Do you do one or do you do two? Because there's, I've seen both. 
I don't think I've ever done two. And I don't know. I just don't like the idea. But yeah, a lot of the fast people have two to so they don't have to wear a vest. Okay. But to answer your question, wait, where do I make that decision? Mm-hmm. One, can I get water from streams if I need it? You know, if I'm not very picky, I probably should filter more than I do, but I know a good spring when I see one. I, I live up here where there's a lot of good looking spring. Do you do like, do you talk to it first? Oh yeah. You just know a good looking spring. You're like, oh. that is, that is a good looking spring. <laughs> that's one, that's one fine looking spring. So, <laughs> but I mean, so, I mean, if I can get water, if I need water and I know that's out there, well, that's one less reason I have to use aid station. Two okay. is the d- obvious, obvious one is the distance between aid stations, right? Mm-hmm. If I, if I can stop at one and not the other type thing or skip one, I'm going to do that. Um, but basically it's how far can I take this? I, I kind of train, I do a lot of training at a, at a deficit, I guess I would say calorie deficit. A lot of times I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll fuel on training runs, but I'll make it a point to, uh, so my body knows how to, how to, perform on less calories rather than a ton. So if I get the chance during a race to get more than I'm used to, all the better. Uh-huh. Pick up and, some berries along the way. Yeah, or stop at an aid station if I feel like I want to. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the idea for me is to, can I make it without stopping at the time suckers? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Which requires tool belt shorts, one handheld, not two, not two. That's just crazy. Um, spring, hot looking spring water. Yeah, very hot. <laughs> very hot looking spring water. And uh, you'll be starving when you finish. Got it. Not really. I mean, I'm. I, you got to make sure you have enough calories. And, you know, and for me, I'm not a heavy sweater. You know, PJ's telling me that, you know, he can't do handhelds because it's just not enough. I get yeah. that. I, I see what other people, how other people sweat and it's like, holy yeah. moly, I'm glad I don't have that problem. So I can go on more minimalistic hydration, I feel mm-hmm. like, than some people, especially in these colder months. Um, yeah. Summer's a different story. But, but all this, all this is a big but because I still am stopping at aid stations, but if I can do any of these things or all of these things, it cuts down on my time that I have to be there. Right. That is definitely a big butt. Yeah. Speaking of big butts. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the the caboose, the back of the pack. Yeah. How do you handle an aid station? And what do you do if you're in a race where um, you want to do the best you can, I guess? Okay. Okay. And I'm glad you clarified that because there's different types of races. Absolutely. There's super fun race that I'm doing because I just want to enjoy myself. Um, There might be a race that I'm doing with a friend and I'm helping them to finish. Um, And then there's a race that I want to do well at. And when I want to do well um, at a race, I do make sure that I have an aid station chart ahead of time. And I'll usually have, I I do a little piece of paper and I write down my aid stations, my predicted times, cumulative time, and the distance between aid stations. 
and I put um, packing tape on each side of it. So it's like laminated without I've done that. Been yeah, there. <laughs> it's my it's my cheap lamination. And then you just cut around the edges and that seals it in pretty good. And if you sweat a lot, then you can still look at your little chart. Um, so I get an aid station chart and I will usually stop at every aid station. Yes, I don't always fill my water at every aid station. So one of the things that I do to help save time is I have a full bladder on my back. And then my front is usually an electrolyte drink. Um, and I find it easier to clean my bladder. If some people put electrolyte in their bladder, I choose not to. Um, I find it easier to, to clean it. And I am also not a heavy sweater. So I don't have a lot of salt in my sweat. I don't need a ton of electrolyte. I can manage off of my front bottles. And it depends on the race. I might never fill my back bladder. I just go with what I have and I'll only fill the front at aid stations because it's easier to fill the front than the, to fill the back. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm careful with how I'm going to fill my water and not fill it at every aid station. Plus it just weighs you down. So if I can get to the finish line with a completely empty bladder and front empty front pockets, then I know I've done a good job, one, of hydrating and two, of not making it harder on myself when I don't need to and not stopping too much. Um, the next thing that I do is when I'm coming into an aid station, if I'm about half a mile away, I start doing a self check. I'll check. I'll start with my head. Is my head good? Do I need to change anything with my head? How do my shoulders feel? How do my arms feel? Do I have any chafing on my back? Do I have any chafing on my legs? How do my feet feel? Do I need to adjust my shoelaces? And I go from head to toe and I just think through everything Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? And I get a list in my head of, okay, I have a hot spot at this one place on my back. My shoe needs to be tied and I need some real food. One, two, three. I know I have three things. I get into the aid station. I manage one, two. And the last thing that I always do, and this drives me nuts when I see people, it doesn't drive me nuts, but I just think, oh, what a lost opportunity. When I see um, crew when their runner comes in, the first thing they do is say, what do you want to eat? And that should actually be the last thing you do with your runner is say, what do you want to eat? Because you send them with it. So what I see people do is eating at the aid station. And really, I want to grab boom, boom, boom. What are my three things that I want? By the way, <laughs> the last the last idiot run that I was at, I had to quickly grab something and then I was going to um, shoot out the door because there were other cool people. Um, so all the, all the people at the idiot runs are cool. Um, so I, I was running out the door and I grabbed a pierogi. No, it was a quesadilla. And then, um, a piece of, it was a, a spam quesadilla and a pierogi and then something else. There were three things that I shoved together and I made a little sandwich out of it. And it was amazing. So any real food, I'm grabbing the food from the aid station and I'm walking with it as I leave the aid station. Right. So I should really, the only thing that I should be doing at aid station is something that I can't do out on the course or it's much faster for me to do it at the aid station. Now, if I have um, a rock in my foot and I'm still eight miles from an aid station, I'm not going to wait for the aid station. Stop, get the rock out that could potentially cause me an issue later on 
if it's in a really bad spot. Um, that way I'm in and out at the aid station. So it's really just stuff that I can't do out on the trail. Um, I agree they are time suckers. And if it is a fun race, that is exactly what I want to do is have some fun. So there's plenty of other races where I, I um, hang out at the aid stations just for funsies. Um, but that's how I manage aid stations, being at the back of the pack. I And it adds up. So when I'm race planning, if I'm doing 100K, um, let's say, well, let's say any race that has five aid stations. You got five aid stations. If you're spending five minutes at five aid stations, it's 25 minutes. It doesn't take long, correct. It doesn't take long. If you spend two minutes at five aid stations, it's 10 minutes. That difference of 15 minutes, when yeah. you see people come in right after the cutoff of a race, that's your time right there. You did no, it I know. I see it every single, uh, especially ultra, longer, longer type mm -hmm. run. These... Yeah these 50 K to 50 mile or hundred mile races, those little chunks add up to such huge time. It's insane. Yeah. Um, before we go any farther, let me veer. I want to veer off real quick. Cause PJ Simotis is asked, mm. is it possible to overdo it on electrolyte mix versus plain water? And the first thing that popped into my head for me was Eastern States this past year. I, I kind of made a big boo boo and I went into Eastern States um, basically hydrating on straight tailwind, figuring I would get my hydration and my electrolytes all in one and calories. Uh -huh. But this idiot didn't really practice that and get his, mm -hmm. get his body used to that much sodium. And this is, this is coming from other people's uh, opinions, but what I, I think what I did is I overloaded on sodium. So at my off, I'm going to say mile uh, 40 to 50, my stomach turned inside out and everything came out and I felt like garbage for the next 20 some miles. And I'm pretty sure that was the culprit. It, I could be wrong. Might just be, I was in a, I, you know, ate too much food or whatever, but I'm pretty sure my sodium intake went too high from overdoing it on the electrolyte mix of tailwind. Still electrolyte. I'm still a tailwind fan, but I I should have prepped my body more for what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, spot on. It is definitely possible to overdo it on electrolyte mix. It is such an individualized thing. And there are some great resources online to try to figure out what works for you. I'll have to dig out this spreadsheet um, that I had before. It it helps you track what um your uh, sweat rate is depending on what time you track, what time of day it is, what temperature it is. You track all that stuff and you can calculate your sweat mix. Now there's two things to con to consider. One is what is your sweat rate? And then the other one is what is the sodium content of your sweat? So two people who sweat the same amount might not have the same sodium content in their sweat. And that's where you start losing electrolytes through sweat. And you know, Eric, I did something very similar when I did the Duck 100K. I, um, the, at the, it's two 50Ks put together. Yep. And so the second 50K, I'm, I, my genius says, you know what? The aid stations are so close together on this. It's very runnable. I'm just going to do bottles 
and I'm going to go heavy on element, which also has magnesium in it. And this is something to look at with your electrolyte mix is does it have magnesium or not? Some do, some don't. Magnesium is, uh, it, it makes you go. <laughs> so it's milk, milk and magnesia. That's, that's what it comes from is magnesium. So I had two bottles up front. I was like, I'll go heavy on them and then I'll just dilute it throughout the race. Well, um, first aid station, I blew through second aid station ran out of water and I had nothing to drink except for this really heavy electrolyte mix. I hit, it was probably mile, uh, 55 or something like that. And every like five steps I was going over into the woods until there was nothing left in my body. And that, that was such a bigger time suck than if I would have just worn a full pack and took plain water with me. So yeah, you can definitely overdo it on electrolyte. And I like that point out. Um, and then, uh, 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 Becky Kosek also said swapping, uh, bottles, uh, really helps. And I think this is, this is another thing about thinking about your training differently than your race. You know, how you carry bottles in training might be very different than how you carry bottles in a race. And what does your crew need to support you? And they might need two sets of bottles and they can get you in and out a whole lot faster. Um, so that was a good point out to also get in and out of aid stations a lot faster. Yeah. And some, some of time, like, especially for the longer ultras, I like to put a nipple on the end of my bottle because I turn into a big baby. Yes. So it just helps, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, but back to the aid stations, you know, thinking about it as you're talking and things, I, I, and maybe somebody that's watching on here could, could, uh, confirm this, but I feel like a lot of, a lot of times when I come into the aid station, I'm saying two things. I'm saying, I'm sorry. And <laughs> thanks for your help. I'm sorry. And I appreciate you because yeah. for one, I, like I come in and for me, it's pure panic because I don't want to mm -hmm want to waste and I don't want to get time sucked into this mm -hmm. and I also know what it takes to volunteer at an aid station and be there for hours and volunteer and do this because and when you have stuff you could be doing at home so I always I promise you I always try to thank everybody that's there especially the people that are personally trying to fill my bottle up or this and that even if I'm stumbling and dropping it on the ground and getting frustrated it's like I'm I'm sorry I'm, I'm a jerk but I appreciate it so much you know, and that's you get a shirt that just says, I'm sorry. And thank you. Yeah. I'm sorry. And thank you. And I'm uh, sorry, big baby. Thank you for volunteering. Yep. So that's probably a lot different than the back of the pack. Um, a little, probably a little less laid back and chill. I don't know. Maybe I just need to learn to breathe a little bit. And well, yeah. Laugh. Like I said, it, it depends on what the purpose of the race is. I have certainly gone through um, some races where every aid station was a literal photo shoot, like whole photo shoot. I did uh font uh, every time I do font because they have awesome aid stations. Like you have to plan that into your schedule is photo shoot at every aid station. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's uh, it depends on, on the race and what the purpose is and where you are with cutoffs and all of that. And, and there's great people at aid stations. And I think the, the really great volunteer, you know, that's something else that we can touch on real quick is just the, um, 
as a volunteer, what are some really good tips? And you have, um, you're going to be doing Eastern State Slate Run, um, aid station captain. So what are those tips that you have for people who volunteer at aid stations? Which first off, I highly recommend doing at some point because you can learn a lot. Yeah, I'm not, I'm certainly not going to speak like I'm a professional at volunteering at aid stations either because there's people that do it and again, put their time out there a lot more than I do. Um, I always want, when, if I'm doing an aid station and Slate runs an example, I, I want to make sure I have more than enough help that, mm-hmm. you know, if every runner has three people hovering over them, then so be it without chaos, obviously. But, you know, that I think that's the most important thing is everybody has a job, sticks to the job and don't get, don't try to do something that you weren't supposed to do. You know what I mean? If, if you're in charge of keeping the chairs open, then don't try to fill somebody's water bottle that's already being filled. Mm-hmm. You know, I t- probably talk about it with your crew, before your group of helpers beforehand. beforehand. Yeah. You probably have more input on this whole thing than me. I mean, I, I'm. When do I never not have input? Did I say that right? Well, you, you just did it this <laughs> week. It's a double negative. What stood out this weekend that worked really well or didn't work anything or what it yeah. yeah, absolutely. So uh, our aid station was positioned perfectly because they were coming at us and they could see and hear us. Um, one thing that I, I try to do as an aid station, I do like to play music, but I'd like to make sure that it's not too loud. If it's too loud, then people can't hear um, as they're when people are asking, like, can you give me this and can you give me that? Do you have salt tabs? So um, one of the things I did as they were coming in, especially for my front of the pack, I would yell out some of the options that we have at the aid station. I only had three options for liquids. I had um, water, Coke, and pickle juice. So I would say, hey, we have water, Coke, and pickle juice. And I would yell that at them as they're coming in. And then if I saw them grabbing, they're reaching for their, their front bottle and they're starting to unscrew the cap, I would go as an aid station volunteer, I go to them, grab their bottle from them. I run to the aid station, fill it up while they do other things so they can get their food and whatever they want. And I'm dealing with their water bottle. So I don't wait until they come to me to, <laughs> to then help them. You know, I'm going to go to them and grab their stuff from them <laughs> and start. And I'll put their bottle into their vest for them. I get a little grab handsy and then, um, and I get them in and out now for my front of the pack. Um, and that's mostly for front of the pack for the most part, they only need, um, uh, either water or an electrolyte mix, or they need like a quick shot of pickle juice or Coke, something like that. And then I get them on their way. And then other people I'll, I'll shout out a couple of options because as a runner, you see the table and your head is just not thinking straight. So I'll say things like, we have Pringles, we have peanut butter and jelly. We, and I say the things because somehow it registers when people say it rather than when you're looking at it. And I'll say the words, you know, we have Fig Newtons. And then one person will be like, oh, yes, I love Fig Newtons. Give me those. So I think as a volunteer, you ask yes or no questions, things that people can say yes or no to. You might say, do you want salty or sweet? They say, I want salty. Okay, well, here's your options for salty. Um, And then if they have garbage, my hand is already out there. 
and like all the garbage goes in my hand. I will throw it away for you, you know? So give me your garbage. You take food off and on your way. Um, and then middle and back of the pack for longer races, when I can tell that we might get like a crew. There's six people who all came in. They're wearing matching shirts and everything. And if I'm at an aid station where we are, it's totally okay to do so. We have approval from the race director. Some of them even provide alcohol at aid stations. I have a crew come in, all got matching shirts. They're having a good time. They're taking pictures. I'm like, who wants shots? And I'll like, I'll line everything up for them. I'm like, I'm doing one with you. And, and we all like have a good time. Let me take a picture. And then I take a picture for them and, and try to get them all pumped up for the day. So when I see a crew coming in, especially, or if I see somebody by themselves um, toward the back of the pack, like I'm going to stop and a hundred percent of my attention is on that person. And I'm like, what can I get for you? You're doing awesome. Let's do this. So I, I think, really try to pump them up too. Yeah. And I think one thing I want to add is like towards the front of the pack, at least for myself, I find a lot of times when I'm racing, I'm by myself a lot. So when I come into an aid station, it's kind of an overload of people in my people that want ready to help. It's going from this state of mind of, okay, I think I'm in the mood for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, some Pringles and fill my bottles up and I'm gone. Then I come into the aid station and everybody's helping me and all that goes out the window. I leave the aid station halfway up the hill and realize I didn't get my Pringles. I didn't get my sandwich and I got my water bottles filled. You know what I mean? So it's, I guess for you to, to, you know, saying your state, what you have there and stuff, that's probably a good thing because it's kind of like zombie, like when you go from haven't seen anybody for an hour and, or two hours to all of a sudden there's people all around me talking, you know, and I'm in a rush and I'm panicking and I appreciate them, but like, what do I do? I don't know. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another good point is when you have one runner coming up, like have one person take care of them. <laughs> And not like three people taking care of them. Right. It can be really overwhelming for the runners. You yeah. make them feel special, but also give them their space. Some people, they, some people come in, they know exactly what they need and they're off. Um, and then I try to give them some encouraging words on the way out. You know, you're looking strong, um, have fun. I always try to say something like have fun because that's really what it's about, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And one of the... Last thing I'll add on aid stations, then we got to try to move on. Um, it's when you're when you happen to be the first first place runner in any race. One of the most frustrating things for myself is I don't know how far back second is. Second can only always ask the aid stations, "Hey, did he, how how far ahead is he? Oh, he just left two minutes ago. Oh, he's half hour ahead. You don't have a chance." Then they know, right? Mm -hmm. I don't ask because they don't know. Mm -hmm. So. That makes my panic even worse if I happen to be lucky enough to be in front. All right. But the one the one time that uh, this stands out to me was was Black Forest. I came in the slate run aid station, which was 50K into the the six or 100K course. And I, I was kind of in a panic. I was feeling good. So I wanted to get all my stuff and get out. And Julia was there. Julia Martin. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't think she's listening, but hopefully she she listens to this show. Um but she, she hooked me up. She filled my balls up fast and she actually knew from a previous aid station about how far back the guy was. Ooh. The answer, the answer she gave me was like, 
I was feeling good. And so I was like, I, I got to rip. I got to go. And there's a long climb after that aid station. But anyway, I went, so I, I grabbed my stuff and, and, and just left and started running down the trail. And I thought, and I, I stopped in my tracks and I ran back to her. I said, I'm sorry. Thank you so much. Because <laughs> like, I forgot that part of it, you know, yeah. but she, she was amazing. They were there freezing their butts off down at Slate Run. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like we're talking about, I mean, without these aid stations, none of these races would be, would even happen, let alone be as awesome as they are. So yeah. thank you to everybody who runs, has run, will run an aid station. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's one of the cool parts about running an aid station is that you, you get a lot of very appreciative people and, and some people might forget to say thank you and that's okay too. I know I've forgotten before I try not to. Um, but it's, uh, it's, that's a, a really cool part of it. Now, um, uh, that made me think of another thing that is really great to know that sometimes race directors forget to tell you if you are running an aid station, how many miles is it to the next aid station or to the finish? Because a lot of people will ask, even right. if, and you don't want to trust another runner. You want to trust the race director or um, one of the other, uh, I mean, ideally it's the race director who tells you. So um that's a, a good piece of information to try to get out of them before you head to the aid station is how far is it to the next one? Um, because so many people ask that question. Yeah. This is a fun conversation. I think we can probably have it for quite a while and I'd, I'd love to hear other people's views and how, what they think and stuff like that, but we're already over on our time. Here we are. So let's, our- let's transition over to the next part of, mm-hmm. of these races and running and something you hit on last episode and wanted to talk about a little bit is actual race prep. Yes. And it might be something that we start talking about. We might have to continue on, but race prep is something that I just love doing. And, you know, there are some people who hate get, uh, and I, what I mean by race prep is putting together a strategy. Like this is going to be, I am very, I'm mission impossible about it. I've got maps, I've got timers. I have all the things to try to predict as much as possible. What's going to happen? How am I going to manage through everything? Um, it's something that I do for my athletes to get ready, um, not for every race, but uh, primarily for key races. We put together a race strategy um, and I've done for a couple of friends off to the side. So I thought that would be a fun conversation is how to put together a great race strategy. Like I said, training very different than race day and it requires a different strategy. So where to start now? I want to preface this with plenty of people hate race strategy and planning too much will um, stress them out. And so that's a whole different perspective is, um, you know, plant putting all together uh, a great plan can make some people um, feel more comfortable on race day. can also stress out some people on race day. Eric, where do you sit on that spectrum? How much you plan and why? I personally don't plan much on race day as far as writing things out, how things are going to go, what kind of pace I'm looking for. And I think that, uh, follows into my coaching. I don't, I don't do that much race planning for athletes unless they're, unless they specifically want to get into more laying out how, how they want this race to go and numbers they want to hit. The way, you know, I, and we talked about it a little bit, the way I look at it is that the training does lead up to race day. 
And, you know, hopefully everything came together where you should be running by feel um, for the most part. And uh, boy, that, I mean, where you're at should, should be your, whatever effort you're giving should be a hundred percent at any one time. If the, if it, things aren't going great through the race, well, then you can turn it down a little bit and that's okay. That's why we have different uh, goals for races, but that's why I wanted you to talk about is because you, you definitely get into more detailed planning for athletes than I do. And that's okay. I, I like it. I'd like to see it sometime. Yeah. Yeah. So I do heavy race planning, not so much because there's a pace I want to hit, but there's a pace that I have to hit in order to hit cutoffs. Right. (laughs) And so Sometimes it is because, um, you know, I was just working with uh, one of my athletes, Kaya. She had she wanted to hit a half marathon PR and we did um, train for that, um, but it was a flat course. And sometimes on a flat course, um, going too hard in the beginning, you know, you end up gassing out later on. So we really wanted to put together a great plan for that. Another one is um, uh, I helped one of my athletes get to a hundred miler on the Yeti 100 course and the Yeti 100 course, it's a rail trail, it's flat. And, you know, she probably could have run the first 50 miles without even walking. But if you do that, the second 50 are really going to (laughs) hurt. And so um, we put together a whole walk run strategy because she didn't have the benefit of walking up the hills and running down the, you know, running the flats and the downs. Um, There was no space in that course for walking. um, And it was her first hundred. So we had to put together a walk run strategy for that course. Uh, So it helps not just, I think, with um, whether or not you're going to hit cutoffs, um, but also just to pace yourself and and make sure um, that you're going to have a good race. So that's interesting. Answer me this, Grace. Do you think, in your opinion, do you think that race strategy becomes more scientific the farther you get back in the mullet? Mm, Not scientific per se, but um, more important for those as you go from front to back. Mm -hmm. You know what I think? I don't think it's a front to back Well, I think it can be a front to back thing. I think people in the back of the pack will really benefit from putting together a good strategy and you're more likely to hit a finish if you put together a plan. And I have a lot of different pieces of that plan. It's not just about pacing. Um, And I think that, but to some extent, I think a lot of it's about experience. I think that the more time you spend in a particular um, distance, the less you have to do those types of things. Um, But even somebody like, you know, John Kelly, he's got spreadsheets upon spreadsheets upon spreadsheets um, just because that's how his brain works. Um, So some runners and it doesn't matter where they are in the the front or the back. um, It depends on that particular race, how experienced you are at doing that course, I think. Um, and then, um, I think that back of the Packers will benefit if they are, um, if they're at danger of not hitting cuts. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So dive in. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it again. This might need a part two, but just to get started, there are several pieces of strategy. One is a pacing strategy. 
There's also a clothing strategy. What are you going to wear on race day? Did you practice with it? Another one is a nutrition strategy, making sure not just what are you going to eat during the race, but what are you going to eat before the race? And here's a good example. I had an athlete who was doing a marathon. Well, the marathon didn't start till 9 a.m. Well, they usually get up at 4 a.m. So they would get up at 4 a.m., have breakfast. Race doesn't start until 9 a.m. And they weren't eating until two hours into the race. So they were going from like 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. with no food, six hours, and then bonking in the middle of a marathon. And that's because the pre-race food strategy wasn't on point. So now when, um, when they do a marathon, we do two breakfasts. We do the wake up breakfast and then we do a pre-run breakfast. And then that um, we base it off of the marathon start time. And then uh, we know that, that uh, they're going to be good to go and not going to bonk during a marathon, and then um, just be cued last October. So that was a piece of the strategy that got them from not be cueing over to be cueing. A couple other pieces too, but nutrition strategy, and then also what are you going to eat post-race? Yeah, and when the races start, even if it's not a marathon, it's it's funny because 95% of races, let's face it, they start early morning to eight, seven, eight o'clock. But there's a few that for some, you know, one reason or another, they started like lunchtime or something like that. Right. And I was always like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm super prepared. I've trained for this race, but I don't even know how to freaking eat in the morning to, to get to where I want to be at when it's normal time. So it's like, do I have lunch? Do I not have lunch? It's yeah. it kind of stinks. And then we get into the whole pooing all over the place thing if you don't do it right you know all over the walls yeah everywhere (laughs) anyway continue on yeah yeah so um so ideally we do that practice you know a couple months we start figuring out nutrition strategy at least two months ahead of time but ideally you know four or five months ahead of that key race we're starting to work on nutrition strategy especially for those people who struggle with eating during a race You know, you can look at if you're one of those people who can't eat really well during a race, you can look at it two ways. You can either train your body to you can keep going for longer and longer and longer distances if that's your goal and force your body to go longer and longer and longer without food. Or you can work on training your gut and which one is going to be more likely to bring your success is probably training your gut. It takes a while to do it and everybody's different, but um, I encourage people, even if they've tried eating and they didn't have a lot of success before, to just keep trying different things until you get there. So, um, and then there's the last piece of this is a crew and a pacing strategy. So even for those people who struggle with putting together, um, they're like, you know, I just want to run by feel. It's like, great. I understand you want to run by feel. How's your crew supposed to crew you for that? <laughs> so, you know, you got to make sure that you, you're putting something together for your crew, your pacers, so they know what to expect. They know. Now, I will say that as crew, I think that uh, ideally every crew should go straight from one aid station right to the next one and not stop anywhere in between. Um, that being said, it is good to know about what time are you going to head into that aid station. So, Uh, putting together that crew and pacing strategy. And then the last piece is a motivation strategy. So in other words, trying to get the athlete ready for what are you going to do when everything goes to hell? Like 
the difference between finishing and not finishing could be how do you manage the unknown when something terrible happens? How are you going to keep your head straight? Is it going to be a mantra? Is it going to be, um, is it going to be, uh, I kick your ass. Like what, what is that thing that's going to get you over the hump when things get really, really hard. And so I think thinking about that ahead of time and preparing for it is, uh, can be really helpful when you're in a tough race. Yeah. And for me, that's my wife and, and my kids. Like that's if, when I become miserable, that's what gets me over the hump is getting <laughs> aid station and then them saying, well, you can't quit, keep going, quit being a baby. Yeah. And telling your crew, like one, two, three, here's the reasons why I'm a, it's okay for me to um, quit this ooh, race. Oh, this is good. Other than that, yeah. it's not okay. This is good because I slate run at Eastern States. I came in, I was trying to just listen to me, people. Like, this is why I feel like death and things aren't really good right now at all. And they didn't care. Like, nobody cared. They're just like, well, that's okay. You know, keep moving. Just keep walking. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't feel for me, Grace. They don't. No. Yeah. They still don't. It's no, why we're trying to get you friends, buddy. But anyway, but, I ended up doing really well in that race, so I guess it kind of paid off. But I was kind of, I was kind of mad while I was there. And there's, it was even aid station workers, like these people that are my, they're angels. They were just being mean to me, and I don't feel they're doing a good job. <laughs> but I think, especially for the back of the pack, it is like um it can be really hard sometimes especially when things hurt to figure out like is this a hurt that is worth dropping out for or not and uh, making sure that your crew is ready for that because you can think straight before the race you can't think straight during the race and so those are the different pieces of strategy that i like to put together um and I have so much more to say on this. I know it's hard. I have so much more to say on every subject. We <laughs> talk a lot, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely something we can hit back on again. Yeah. Kind of part, like you said, part two next time. Yeah. Um, even, you know, PJ, I think he's still listening. He, he, he chimed in before the episode and said, he'd like to hear each of our uh, warm up routines for different races. And, uh, you know, that's big, too. It's it's not something you show up at the start line with your vest full, just start running. A lot of, a lot of depending on the distance, um, your warm-up is different and what we do. And I think we can get into that maybe next episode. Sorry, PJ, for not putting it in tonight. One more thing about PJ, and you name-dropped a few times. I got a name-drop on him. He just got second place in Buckridge Burn Half Marathon this past what? weekend. He is one of my athletes, and he – he got beat by the Matt Lipsy. So I've gotten beat by Lipsy many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's really like not even worth mentioning. Like he basically got first place because Lipsy is like ultra. Place, you know? Matt doesn't count. No, he really doesn't. <laughs> so, good job, PJ. Um, but anyway, what else we got? All right. So um, in the part two, I want to talk about pacing strategy. I have a couple different tools that I use to put together a pace strategy. I think it's super awesome. And so stay tuned for part two. Let me know what other questions you have about race prep, because it is, that's probably a boring topic for some people. No, I don't think it is. And I think we should make it a point to start it off next week. 
um, finishing with the, the pacing stuff, I think is very important. And I, I think a lot of people don't talk about it uh, as much as they probably should. Yeah. And that your, your layout of, of your race prep is pretty phenomenal in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we did, at least we, we talked about poop enough on this episode. So we got Ooh. that going for us. We squeezed it in there a little bit. <laughs> squeezed it out. You squeezed it out. Yes. <laughs> So, I mean, I think we want to talk about time management a little bit next week, possibly, but I don't know. We'll see time management in meaning like, you know, how do, how do you handle training for races and what things get in the way, what things you can let get in the way. One thing, some things that are just excuses in my, so I think that'd be a fun conversation, almost as fun as aid stations. We'll give everybody an excuse to Tune in at 7.30 next week. What do you have going on this weekend? Oh, what do I have this weekend? I am officially two weeks away from Boston. I hope next Monday maybe we can talk about my Boston training a little bit. You know, talking about your race planning and you mentioned um, what what clothing to wear. Mm -hmm. I'm still torn between whether I wear like cheetah print shorty shorts at Boston. Do I just keep it? in moderation and wear your normal like just shorts and a tank top or do i go like super crazy and i don't know wear speedo i have time to mail you the the bathing suit the bathing suit would be a phenomenal one because so many people would have so many questions and i don't have to answer them i'm just gonna run but then we have the chafing issues there are chafing issues with that bathing suit um if you haven't seen pictures of it yeah. You want to. You don't yeah. want to. They're out on Google it or something. I'm pretty sure they're online. <laughs> I want to ask the crowd, and I hope that people to um, chime in, add this to the to the chat, to the messages. What should Eric wear at Boston? He is running the Boston Marathon, and what should he wear? Yeah. So I am not really afraid to embarrass myself. Like I'm going to go to this thing for the full experience. And then if everybody's looking at me because I look really weird, well then all the better, you know, <laughs> I, yes. I, I don't care. So the bathing suits yeah. are a cool idea. Honestly, I don't know if I would, do, I don't know. I do have my limits. Yeah. Okay. We'll figure out what those limits are. Put some ideas into the chat. But yeah. Running wise this weekend, I don't, I don't know. Easter Sunday's Easter. I'm going to, probably get in one semi-decent long run. I should be on that taper train right now. So I'm, I'll kind of be a good boy, I guess. And, and but nah, nah, whatever. The weather's nice. I'm going to do what I want to do. What about you, Grace? Uh, I don't have anything set in stone. So I've, I'm peeking around, see if there's any races that I can um, sweep for or something like that. I've been doing a lot of that lately, which has been super fun. And um, I've also been... Uh, doing sections of the horseshoe trail that's been a lot of fun uh so i don't know i don't know what i'm gonna do i might go mountain bike mountain biking with my husband he uh he's a fair weather rider so if the weather's good um then we might be able to get out and hit the trails nice well hey we're doing really good on that like 50 minute to 52 minute mark so i think we might as well try to shoot with that everybody's saying the cheetah print for shorts but i don't think these people know how high these things go so that could be an issue. I think you've seen them. They they are glorious. So I don't know. I, I think I might do it. Whatever. You only live once, right? That's right. All right, Grace. Great episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. 
See you next Monday. Have a great one. Bye. Bye.